0: Amen. You guys can take a seat. Just kidding. Well, I want to welcome you to Church at Five. Uh, this is the English service, if this is your first time here, of Calvary Chapel. And uh, from all of us here, we're really glad that you could be with us this evening. We want to take just a few minutes right now uh, that we kind of put aside for the offering, make it a part of our service as a, an act of worship, as we see it described in the New Testament. And uh, we always just want to... Make sure that you guys are, are understanding that this is just an invitation to kind of be a part of, uh, of what God's doing here, a, a part of what God's doing here in this church, and hopefully his plans through, for Freiburg through this church. But there's no pressure for anybody to give uh, just what you would have on your heart. Uh, we want to invite you guys to have the opportunity to do that. So before we, the ushers come and take up the offering, let me just pray. Father, we thank you. We want to thank you that you invite us, Lord, to be a part of your plan, to be a part of what you're doing here in Freiburg through this church that you planted. It was your idea, not our idea. Church is your idea, and you invite us to be a part of it. So we want to ask that you bless this offering, Lord, and that every cent is used with wisdom as you would see fit and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple quick announcements. Uh, First... I always like to let you guys know, especially if it's your first time here, we have welcome cards, and uh, this is not just for the new people, this is for anybody that wants to know more information, wants to know maybe more information about how to get involved here and be a part of the team. Uh, we kind of, we're like a family here, we have, a, and that's everybody who's, you know, on the stage and everybody who sets up, and uh, we have a couple times a year we get together, we had a barbecue this summer, which was awesome and fun, and uh, I'm from Texas, so barbecue is just kind of comes with the territory for me and uh, if you want to know more information about being a part of the team this is a great way to do it or any other questions you might have about the church and uh, also comments we'd love to get feedback on on maybe how uh, church at five or how Calvary Chapel has been affecting your life Uh, so that's one of our announcements another I just want to kind of go through actually I'll do this first this is this is a new announcement I don't I just found out about this so bear with me but uh, there's going to be a skit or a play of the, the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. And the idea of it, as far as I was told, is to uh, invite people that maybe don't know about the gospel. Maybe uh, people from work, people from uh, school, whatever it might be, family. And uh, you can take one of these. They're at the back. And it's next Monday and Tuesday. And I think it's a really great opportunity. It's going to be the kind of skit is going to be happening in the middle and people will be around the what's happening, which is I think it's, there's kind of an interactive feel to it. And so it's a great thing just so that people can get a better understanding of the gospel, but it is in German. So you can invite all of your German friends to that. And uh, again, there's a bunch, a huge stack of these at the back and you can grab one, grab a few to invite people. Also I want to let you guys know about... A few things of our Christmas schedule for Church at Five. Uh, number one is on the 24th, uh, we will have no Church at Five service. Instead, there will be a Church at Four, and it will be for all of Calvary Chapel. We're going to do a Christmas, right? I'm, I'm taking it. Church at Four. And uh, it's going to be a Christmas Eve service for all of Calvary Chapel. So I really would encourage you to come. Just uh, don't come at Five, because you will probably have missed the whole service by that point. So, 4 o'clock. On the 24th, pretty easy to remember, 4 on the 24th. And uh, on the 25th, uh, there'll be more information about this, but on the 25th, there's going to be a kind of a potluck lunch at 11.30 um, at the uh, other campus, Wiesenthal, on Wissenthalstrasse 29. I try. And it's uh, just anybody who's maybe your. are Maybe you're uh, studying and you're, don't really, you're not going to be able to really go back home, not be able to go spend it with family. It's an opportunity to come and spend it with the church family. Or even if if you are maybe on the 24th and the 25th is free, come. All are welcome. And uh, I'll give more information about that next week because we want to have people sign up and register so that everybody. we know not everybody brings the same cookies and then we have nothing but cookies to eat. Not that that would be the worst thing. But we want to have everybody bring something a little bit different. So, today is the first Advent. It's Christmas time. Everybody awake? You guys look really cozy and comfortable. It's very dark, I know, kind of cozy, relaxing in here. Everybody's sitting a little bit closer together today. That's nice for warmth, I suppose. But it's Christmas time. Something to get excited about, right? We've even got a tree already. Yeah, there you go. Somebody's excited. It's Christmas and uh, actually, uh, I'm going to officially make it the first Advent by lighting our first Advent candle. I was told to do this. Oh, look at that. Now it's Advent. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's exciting. They're having a little too much fun back there. So it's Christmas. You guys, Christmas fans, everybody already have their decorations up this year? No? No. Me neither. I'm a, little bit, I'm a little bit slow, a little lazy with that. I come from a family where the day after Thanksgiving, which is the last Thursday of November, it was fair game for Christmas decorations to come up. And uh, in our family, my mom especially, loved to decorate. Uh, it was a kind of a big thing. The Saturday after Thanksgiving, we would all have decorations. And me and my sister used to always joke that it looked like a bomb of Christmas decorations that just exploded in our house because we went over the top with Christmas decorations. But it's a wonderful time of year. I love it. I love the decorations and the Christmas markets and all the gift exchanging and watching, kind of gauging how people react to your gifts that you get them. It's always fun. It's good food and eating together. I like to cook and especially making Christmas cookies. It's an exciting time. But in all the awesomeness and all the excitement... Uh, it can get a little confusing, and we can maybe forget what it's really about and all the madness. Now, I don't think I need to tell anybody here because we're all in church. That Christmas is about Jesus, right? Everybody aware? Christmas is about Jesus, celebrating the birth. And so today we're going to be going in a little bit different direction with our sermon today. It's not not so adventy, not so Christmassy. Uh, but our service or our series title is the Gospel's Advent. So I wanted to talk a little bit about this, the Gospel's Advent, because that was kind of the title that I felt we wanted to go with this year. And so I'm going to explain a little bit of why. Uh, Advent means basically the coming of, pretty easy definition would be just the coming of something. And the Gospel is the good news that God made a way for us to come to Him, to find real, lasting pleasure in Him, and to have communion with Him. Through Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. You might have heard famous verse, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel, that God sent his Son. And so the Gospel's Advent, our series, is about remembering or reminding ourselves of this truth. That the gospel has come. It's here through Jesus Christ. Not just, uh, we don't want to just remember the birth of Jesus, but remember the gospel. That he came with a purpose. There was a reason why Jesus was sent to the earth. And Advent is also the beginning of the Christian year. If you didn't know that, there's kind of a, we have all of these different things that mark our year and, uh, in the Christian calendar. And Advent is the coming of Jesus followed by Christmas, which is, of course, the birth of Jesus. Then we have Epiphany, where we celebrate the Magi who came, which shows us that Jesus didn't just come for the Jews, but he also came for the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And then Lent, where we repent and remind ourselves of our need for Christ, the Savior, in a sacrificial way, who sacrificed himself for us. And then we celebrate Easter, the death and resurrection, and then Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, So, I know that maybe Jesus might not have been born on December 25th. Most likely not. If we look at uh, the facts, there's a lot of evidence showing us that he probably wasn't born on the 25th. Some people would say he definitely was. Some people would say he definitely wasn't. But the point of this is that throughout the centuries, the Christians have set their year around this truth as a reminder, as an image of how to set our lives, how, what to set our lives around. And it's a calendar year set as a Christ-centered viewpoint. And that's something worth remembering. And so this is why it's important for us to observe these occasions throughout the year, to remember them, and not because it might or might not be the actual dates of certain events, but as a reminder of the gospel that the gospel is constantly, we'll constantly be reminded of that throughout the year. Luther said that he preaches the gospel every week because every week his people forget it. So we want to be, in any way possible, being reminded of the gospel truth in our lives. So, if you're wondering, that's why it's an Advent series, even though, again, today is going to be a little bit in a different direction. Now, as I mentioned today, it's going to be non-traditional Advent sermon, But this is something that God really laid on my heart this week very quickly and strongly and adamantly. And so I believe that God really wants to speak to each and every one of us today. And it's my hope that God would speak to us because I believe that what he laid on my heart is an issue that we all face. Everybody will face this at some point. Maybe you're just coming out of it. Maybe you're about to come into it. Maybe you know somebody who's dealing with this. And today is about dealing with our doubts, dealing with our doubts, and what do we do with them when we have them. Before we dive in any deeper, let me just take a minute to pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you are a good, good God, a good Father. You love us, you see us, and you want to have close relationship with us. You want to know us, and you want us to know you So, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts today to receive your word. And you would open my heart that only your truth, Father, would be spoken through me. For your name and for your glory. Amen. So, if we look at Jesus' life and actually going all the way through the prophets up to Jesus' birth... And all through his life and his resurrection, there's been all kinds of different confusions and doubts kind of shrouding him and his works. We're going to be looking at this off and on throughout the next uh, two weeks, especially looking at more specific examples in Jesus. But I want to focus on doubt. So there's all kinds of ideas, all kinds of interesting theories that have branched out from different doubts about what is true and what is not. One interesting one I found as I was uh, doing some research is that uh, Jesus, during his teen years, actually went to India and became a Buddhist. So, don't know if you guys knew that. Apparently, that happened. And uh, then he went back and did some ministry in Israel, but then went and died in his late 80s in uh, India, and it still has descendants in India today. And there are people who really believe this. There are books written about it. And... So all kinds of ideas have have branched out about uh, who Christ really was, all kinds of things that are formed at the beginning from a doubt. But if we here today believe the Bible, that the Bible is God's word, and we have a relationship with Jesus today, then these kinds of theories can seem a little bit over the top, a little ludicrous. I mean, come on, that's just crazy. And I'll... As I read a little bit deeper into these theories they don't hold much weight, I'll be honest. <laughs> but we are still, even us who know the Bible, who believe the Bible to be true, who have a relationship with Jesus, are still susceptible, and most of us will still fall into doubts and confusion about who Jesus is. Especially in relation to us. Which can lead to all kinds of misunderstandings about our relationship with Him. Now this is nothing new, and in, in all of the Gospels we see all kinds of examples of different uh, doubts that even Jesus' followers had. Thomas being one of the most famous, also known as doubting Thomas, it's a kind of a dead giveaway, where he doubted Christ's resurrection. A man who had walked with Jesus all through his ministry, seen the things that Jesus had done, heard Jesus say, I'm going to rise again. And even his friends who had seen him, the other disciples had had said, we've seen him, he still didn't believe and said, if only if I put my hand in his side and put my finger through the holes in his hand will I believe. So doubt is nothing new. It seems to be something that even those close to Jesus experienced And all through Jesus' ministry, the crowds were particularly fickle when it came to their doubts, kind of growing and shrinking depending on how they felt about what Jesus was saying. There are many times where we see, and many left, and then there are other times where we see crowds too much, you know, too many to number. So it kind of, the numbers came and fell. And one in particular thing I wanted to point out, that where we can see just the different kinds of theories that people were forming is in Matthew 16, verse 13 and 14, where Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So who who are people saying that I am? Who do they think I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And this is interesting, especially John the Baptist, who was born around the same time as Jesus. So, I mean, at this point, he was already dead but how he could have been the same person it's an interesting theory I'm not sure how they got to that point but so people were thinking okay maybe this is just one of the old prophets that had come back so there was a lot of mystery a lot of confusion even when Jesus was right there standing in front of them saying the things that we read about him Even though they had seen with their own eyes the signs and the wonders, the miracles, heard the things that John the Baptist had said about him, heard the things that he had said about himself, about who he was, and yet there was still confusion. So it's no surprise that today we still see confusion 2,000 plus years later about who he really is and why we can have moments of doubt in our lives. Now, we're not going to go into the deep kind of prophetic side of this, looking at the Old Testament and all of the prophets and what they said, and, and actually not just the prophets, but all through the Old Testament, how the image of Christ is seen again and again and again, and how God's plan for salvation through Jesus Christ is, goes all the way back to Genesis. We can see it clearly laid out because we just went through that a few weeks ago. For those of you who Come on a regular basis, uh, Alex uh, Rome went through very well through the Old Testament of the pictures of Jesus all throughout the Bible. So if you didn't hear it, I encourage you to listen to it. He did a really, really good job of laying that out very clearly. And so we don't want to go into a lot of that today, because, again, we just went through that. Today, we're rather going to be focusing on how we can lose sight. Of what we know to be true. So we can have these moments where we go from, I know this to be true, to a doubt, and what happens there in between, and how the devil can use doubt to seep into our lives and to seep into our hearts and try to make a wedge, bring a wedge between us and Christ. Now, for this, I want to look at a great example found in John the Baptist. John the Baptist is, I think, a really good example of this. And I want to start by looking at his moment of doubt. In Matthew 11, verse 2 and 3, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, about Jesus, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Should we expect someone else? He's not sure if Jesus is The one. Now, this is a powerful statement. It's one, first, it's a powerful statement of doubt about whether Jesus truly is the Messiah, the Christ. And John is really opening himself up. He's revealing his own heart and his own struggle with doubt. And I say struggle because he hasn't abandoned hope, he hasn't given up on this idea about what he once was so sure about, which we'll look at in a moment. So it's also a powerful statement of faith because he didn't just give up. He wanted to know the truth and he knew Jesus well enough to know that with this direct answer or this question, he would get a truthful answer back. He needed that confirmation and he goes to Jesus to get it. So he does have still a faith. He hasn't given up, but he still is revealing his heart and his struggles with his doubts. So, What makes the question also so interesting is John's background with Jesus. So they would have known each other all of their lives. They would have known each other growing up, probably saw each other on holidays. I'm not sure. We don't know much about Jesus' early years, but they definitely would have known each other. We know that uh, an interesting thing happens, and I find this particularly interesting, that John seemed to have some sort of divine revelation, even before birth, about who Jesus was in Luke Chapter 1, verse 41 When Elizabeth, who's the mother of John, heard Mary, the mother of Jesus, who heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty amazing pregnancy story. I just had a baby. I don't remember anything like that happening to my wife. John was in the womb and just came close to Jesus and starts jumping up and down. Pretty amazing. There seems to be a supernatural revelation there. But of course, most famously, and the thing we know the most about, where John kind of gets his name, is he was baptizing people, um, and Jesus comes and he baptizes Jesus. And in John 1, verse 29 to 31, I want to read There's a lot of things interesting in that verse. One, we see that there's a moment when John knows for sure. There's a, a moment of revelation that just happened. He said, I didn't know him before. But of course, he did know Jesus. He had seen Jesus before. They knew each other. They knew who He knew who Jesus was. But he said, I didn't know him before. Now, his eyes were opened. And I believe it's in this moment... That John sees Jesus not as, you know, the guy he knew. He sees Jesus in this moment as Jesus, Lord. The Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. He says, this is the one. This is the one I've been telling you about. The one that's to come. So he knew. And he seems very sure of it. So what happened? What happened between this moment of such clarity, such revelation from God about who Jesus was to are you the one, or are we supposed to be waiting for someone else? Are you really him? What happened in between there? As believers today, if you didn't know, this is something that we believe that our understanding of Scripture, our understanding of who God is, is revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. Paul said that no man can say that Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. There's a work that happens. There's a moment where we, we know that Jesus is Lord through this revealing of from God through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And I believe that if we're here today and we're Christians, we're followers, we've, we call Him Lord, we've had... This moment, and I believe, at least in my experience, it was not a moment, it was many moments of revelation in different aspects, different angles, different perspectives about who Jesus was, where I saw him as Lord. But still, there are times when we struggle with doubt, like we see with John. So what happens? How do we go from these moments of such clarity where it's so concrete who God is, who Jesus is and who he is to us to is he is he really who he says he is? Now we're going to look at three possible reasons for John's question and doubt. Now full disclosure, I am not John. I'm not I can't go into his mind and actually know his motive here but all of the three that we're going to look at I believe are quite probable and it most likely was more like or more possibly a combination of the three that led him to be motivated to ask Jesus this question but my hope is that all of us here that might be dealing with doubt or that maybe know people that are we'll have a better understanding of doubt and be encouraged that god is gracious towards us in these moments of doubt so number 1 number 1 reason of possible reason of why john was motivated to ask this question is because jesus was not exactly what john had expected him to be he wasn't exactly the picture of who he thought he would be jesus didn't work in the way that john might have expected and Jesus didn't appear as John might have expected him to appear. There's a lot of Old Testament. Uh, this was a big problem with the Pharisees, and a lot of the Jewish leaders, they, they saw the Messiah coming as someone mighty, as a king, as a, as a ruler that was going to set them free. Now, I don't think that John was in that extreme. This was a, a guy who ate locusts, bugs, by the way, and honey, ...as a diet and wore camel hair clothes and, you know, I don't think he really needed an elegant king. But he did have certain expectations. If we look at Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, this is the words of John about Jesus. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry... He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is a very strong image and vision of who the Messiah was meant to be. separating the chaff from the wheat is an image of and that's that fork things like a thing they would throw up the grain and let the wind carry the chaff away to be burned the chaff and the wheat the wheat being pulled into the barn is an image of the righteous being pulled into god's fold and the chaff is the wicked to be burned with unquenchable fire that's this is, this is a, a very graphic image of, of who the Messiah was supposed to be. And this is John's words. So he could be sitting here in prison thinking, why am I in prison? Why hadn't Jesus come in and brought reward, brought in the righteous? And John was a righteous man. Jesus himself calls him righteous. He is a righteous man. Why isn't he being brought in to the barn And why aren't the wicked being burned? What's happening? There's supposed to be fire raining down here. Judgment. The Messiah was supposed to bring judgment is the image that John had. So instead, we we saw earlier, he heard about what Jesus was doing. The wicked aren't being burned, they're being healed. (laughs) What's, What's going on? Why are we... Not that John had any problems with Jesus healing people. I don't want to make that implication. It's not what the problem was. It's just that John had a certain perspective about who Jesus was going to be when he came. And I don't think, it wasn't far off. He had a lot of the right words, just not the right method. Jesus, God had his own plan, his own way that he wanted to unfold everything. Because, yeah. Without getting too sidetracked. And we today are creative. We're creative creatures, which is a beautiful thing. But we can also tend to create our own expectations on who Jesus should be in our lives, how he should work, especially how he should work in situations and to our specifications. In our lives, why am I still in this situation? Why am I still in this dead end job? God, you were supposed to get me out of this. Why am I still not? You know, why am I still struggling with this? Why, with this sin, why am I still struggling with finances? Why, God, you're come. On, I prayed you're supposed to be already done with this in me. You said you're going to continue the work in me. Shouldn't we be further than this already? We can hear what we want to hear, and we can see what we want to see in Jesus sometimes. And sometimes, I'll I'll warn you, we can be kind of wondering, God, why haven't you answered my prayer? But sometimes he says no, and we don't want to hear no. Or maybe he says yes, and we didn't want to hear yes, and so we choose to not accept it. I'll just ask again. (laughs) Maybe the tenth time I ask, he'll change his mind. We can forget what we knew, and this can, this can come into and, and be a hindrance in our personal relationship with our Lord and Savior. We have this real relationship with a real Lord, a real Savior, but he's not a magic, he's not magic, he's not a genie, can't just rub the lamp and ask him for whatever we want, He is Jesus, and he stands outside of us. He stands apart from us. He is who he is. He says, I am. He is eternal. He is God Almighty in the flesh. And we have to be careful about trying to create our own expectations. In extreme cases, I think, we create our own version of Jesus so, not just what we expect from Jesus, but who Jesus is. The Jesus that I know would never judge anybody. The Jesus that I love just has nothing to give but love. It's all peace and rainbows and butterflies with Jesus. But if you read Revelations, it's a different image of him coming down on a white horse, flaming sword. He is love, but he's so much more than just love. We have to be careful not to hold on to one attribute of Jesus and then create our own version of him from that. So when people say, my Jesus, I say, well, you're probably right, but be careful it's not the Jesus that you might not be worshiping the Jesus that's in the Bible. You might be creating your own, which is idolatry. When we create our own expectations, or even our own version of Jesus, and it becomes our version of the truth, we will be confused when, he doesn't, when the real Jesus doesn't fit into the box that we've made for him. This, this is who you are. Why aren't you fitting in here? Because he doesn't fit in the box. <laughs> we can't create a box for Jesus to fit in. And when he doesn't, when we look at the word of God, right, this doesn't make sense with G, who I see Jesus to be. When we don't fit it and he doesn't fit in the box, we then can have doubt. So we want to know him. And Jesus warns the Pharisees about this in John 5, 39 through 40. Who, and they were all over the place with uh, their interpretations of scripture. And he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. So they weren't understanding it. They weren't getting the truth. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They missed it. They were trying to create their own version of the Messiah, their own idea of salvation from what they read instead of seeing it for what it really is, as it is. This is how To truly know him best, let Jesus be Jesus. Let him be who he is. So, we want to read about him. We want to study his word. We want to know him from his word. That's where we learn him the best. Where we have all these accounts, that's the purpose of the Gospels, is so that we can know who he was, see what he did. But we also, we don't want to be like the Pharisees, so we don't want to stop there. We also want to ask for the revelation of the Holy Spirit as we read. We want to pray as we read so that we don't find ourselves creating our own or seeing just what we want to see, but seeing the truth as revealed by the Holy Spirit. So we want to read the Word. We want to ask for the revelation of the Holy Spirit. We want to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us through His Word. The Word of God is alive and active. So we want to Trust the Spirit to be speaking to us. And three, we want to have fellowship with other believers. This is important. This is the importance of small groups, of, of coming to church, being in a community. This is why we're in, Christianity is not about an individual person. Never never seen in the New Testament, never talked about. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. And when we come together, when we're in this collective, the margin of error is reduced because we're keeping each other accountable. We're keeping each other in check. We're talking about what we're learning, what we're knowing, what we understand about Scripture so we can learn and grow also from one another. This is important. We want to have fellowship with one another. So read His Word. Trust in the Holy Spirit to lead you and have fellowship. Talk about what you know. Talk about what you read with one another. So that's number one of the three points. Another possible reason for John's question is that he was in such a low place in his life. He's in prison. He's facing death on death row, as it were. He had spoke out against Herod. Not a good idea to speak out against political powers. (laughs) And uh, so he's arrested. He's imprisoned. Facing death... And in this place in his life, it's hard not to blame him for having doubts, to be in such a low dark place. When we find ourselves in low spots, in hard seasons, in dark places in our lives, it's easy. This is where the devil loves to work on us the most. And I'm going to tell you what I've what I've seen in my life and what I believe, the devil's not going to come in and change your thinking. He's just going to plant a seed. And when we're in a dark place, when we're in a low place, we tend to be the one who waters that seed, make sure it's nurtured and grows into a really strong, powerful doubt or fear or anger. He just plants a seed of doubt. And when he does... If not removed, it will fester in our minds and grow. So what do we do then? I think a good example, somebody who had doubt, and I think, actually, I would add to my notes here that also John, in going to Christ, again, it was an act of faith, that he didn't just let this thought consume him of, is he the one? He went to him. He went to Jesus and said, Are you the one? And we're going to look at his answer at the end. But also another example of this is in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, 24. Jesus, uh, a, a man whose son is in desperate need to be healed, comes to Jesus and says, If you can, will you heal my son? Now, he was in a dark and desperate place. Maybe this was his last place to turn, but better to turn to Christ than anything else. And Jesus says, If you can, said Jesus, Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. So this here, it's here that the battle against doubt and unbelief in our lives, in these, especially in these dark places, these dark times, these dark seasons, begins to be one in the moment when it's brought to Christ, in the moment when that doubt, when that fear is brought to Him. Really powerful verse. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome the doubts that I have. So we can come to Christ. We can bring those things to Him no matter what we're facing are you facing fear are you facing loss hurt Have you experienced betrayal Do you feel lonely alone whatever it is that weighs you down don't let it don't let the devil see doubt about your relationship with him As soon as, and if he does, if you do have that doubt, take it to Christ. Don't hold on to it. Don't try to understand it. Don't try, all that does is just water it and help it grow. Bring it to him. Bring it to him. If you bring these things to him with a sincere heart, I believe fully he is always faithful to come and meet us where we are. When we come to him, everything is possible when we believe and the act of coming to him is an act of faith. It is an act of belief. And he is faithful there waiting for us and ready to give us rest and peace in our hearts. So number three of reasons, possible reasons for John, John's doubt coming to Christ. Why are you the one or should we wait for another? Is that John may have had a fear that he had just made a huge mistake. I imagine him sitting, contemplating. He's in prison. He's got time. Thinking about all of his ministry. Hearing about what Jesus had done. And maybe it suddenly just hits him. This thought hits him. I imagine it hits him like a rock. (laughs) And he has to know. He has to know is Jesus the one? Because, you see, John had handed a lot of his ministry over to Jesus. He told a lot, many of his disciples, Hey, better to follow him. Follow this guy. He's the real one. He's the one that you're meant to follow, not me. He baptized Jesus and said, "He, the, He's the Lamb of God, the one that's here to take away our sins he said this publicly so what if he was wrong what if he had missed it what if he had messed up and he had led all these people to follow the wrong man I think in this moment a, a fear comes over him maybe he was thinking I'm in prison as a punishment from God for leading people astray That I've messed this up. How could I have been so dumb? How could I have misunderstood? Again, coming from this place where he was so confident to so unsure that he needed to ask. How easy it is for us to lose sight of what was once so clear to us, especially when we look at ourselves. We know ourselves. We know the things that we stink at, the things we mess up, the things that we fail at. And when we start bringing ourselves into the equation of our relationship with God, it's really easy to see how short we fall of what we might think we need to be. And we might quickly blame ourselves, forgetting that what God has truly revealed to us remains true even if we forget it. His truth doesn't go away because of our weakness. And this doubt can lead us to sever our relationship with Jesus because we messed up too bad. We don't deserve him anymore. We don't deserve his forgiveness. We've missed it. We deserve punishment. We deserve this low place, this whatever it might be. And this is why remembering the gospel is so vital all throughout the year. All these different things we do in the Christian year to remember the gospel because the gospel says things about us that we are righteous before God, that we are forgiven. Not sometimes, not this week, but maybe next. Always, we are forgiven. Our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. We are made pure, white as snow before God. And our faults and our sins are are separated from us as far as the East is from the West. We are completely set free from those sins, those mistakes, those things we've messed up. So any time we come to this place where we start to feel unworthy, to start to feel like we've messed things up too bad, this is a lie. This is a lie. Don't hold on to it. Don't water it. Don't feed it. Bring it to Christ. And when we bring it to Him we're quickly reminded of the gospel truth, that it has no weight, it has no power, that his truth about us and our relationship, our relation to Jesus is always the same, always trustworthy, always true, because we did nothing to deserve it in the first place. So we're always in right standing before God through Christ no matter what you did this week, today, this month, you're in right standing with God right now, today. And we never want to let our mistakes breed doubt about our relationship with Jesus. That doesn't come between us and him because we've been covered by the blood. That's a lie that the devil uses. So in closing, what do we do with all this? First, I want to look at Jesus' reply to John's question, finally, we'll get some resolve here, maybe. So John asked, "Are you the one?" Matthew 11:4 through6. Jesus replied, "Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised." And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is a really powerful section here. He's not saying that that these things in themselves are the evidence. He's actually referencing Isaiah, who talked about all of these things. All of these things are referenced in Isaiah as a prophecy about the Messiah that was to come. So what... Jesus is really saying to John is that because Jesus knew that John would have known these scriptures. He would have known this passage. So he's saying, I know that I may not be exactly what you pictured. I may not be doing things exactly the way you saw them, the way you thought them to be or should be, but I am the one about whom this is written. This was written about me. Look at what's happening. You know what it says. That was about me. So he was pointing to scripture as evidence about, his, about who he was. And he really seals this in with verse 6. Where he does this kind of a light rebuke, I think. Where he's kind of pointing out that those that see Jesus as Jesus... And those who let God's plan unfold the way God intends for God's plan to unfold are blessed. They are blessed contrary to the one who is stuck and stumbles on these things because of who they expect or envision Jesus to be. Blessed is the one who doesn't stumble by trying to understand who or build an expectation, a, a version of Jesus, try to fit him into a box, but rather lets God's plan unfold the way it unfolds. And that is, that's his point, that the things that were happening right then, as that Jesus was doing, was prophesied about all the way back by Isaiah. And maybe John had had a different picture of what it was supposed to look like, but this, he's, Jesus is saying, no, this is, this is God's plan. This is what was meant to be. And also, I want to read what uh, we, the other side of what we looked at, that the people were, had all these different ideas about who Jesus was supposed to be, maybe a, a prophet. And then in Matthew 16, 15, and 17, Jesus asked the disciples, "'But what about you?' He, said, he asked. "'Who do you say I am?' Simon Peter answered, "'You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God.' Jesus replied, "'Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah,' For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven, by my Father in heaven. I love Peter's response. It's the best answer to this question. And this is a verse that's helped me through a lot of my own times of doubt and struggles with doubt in my own life. The key being that this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. This is where all of this stuff makes sense. There's a point we want to try with our mind. We, we want to renew our minds, the Bible says. And we want to try to understand Scripture. We want to understand the text. Understand when it was written, why it was written. Understand who it was written to. Really try to wrap our brains around the depths of the text. But there's a point where the intellectual ends and the spiritual begins. And we have to have a revelation from the Lord and that's why, ultimately, we have to go to him. We have to go to him that, and just ask Jesus, I want to see you as Jesus, as who you are, as Lord of my life, a personal relationship that I have with you, but I also want to see you as the Messiah, the Christ, the one come to save the sins of all of the world, great and mighty God in flesh and I'll invite the band to come up as we prepare to do one last song and I just want to end by saying if that's not you if you don't have a relationship with him today and you are interested you're curious about this you can pray that you can just pray God I don't know it doesn't make sense to me it's, it seems like ludicrous which logically it does the things that we believe about the bible are a little bit ludicrous the bible says or uh, god says that uh, you know the the wisdom of god is foolishness to man it's there's a point where the intellectual ends and you can come to him and say god I this is this is where I come to show me your truth and for those of you who've had truth revealed to you and you're maybe Now, struggling with doubt again, don't let it grow. Bring it to Him. And if you need to talk or pray, please come to me after the service. Let's do one more song and worship God together.